So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Accomplish it because we have this entrepreneurial spirit, along with lean and, and shingo principles that we, we've been working towards. We're still early in our journey, but enough where we work together as a, a team. So it wasn't, you know, sales or marketing or operations. It was all, we're signs.com. We're all one team working towards figuring this out. And we were just able to do things very quickly. It, it's astonishing. And in Lean, we talk about you know the burning platform, and that was probably the, the best example. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Drew Butler. Drew, thanks for making time for this. Uh, Great to be here. So will you tell people a little bit about your background in operational excellence and what you're up to these days? I've always been in operations as from a manager to um, plant manager to director of operations. And, and right now, currently, I'm a vice president at a small company in Salt Lake called Signs.com. I started out really with operational excell- excellence. We were a supplier to Pratt Whitney Aircraft, and they were working with a company, a consulting company called Shingajitsu, which are all ex-Toyota managers. We were really bad on delivery. So they, they offered to let us work with the Shingajitsu people. And that was really my first entry into operational excellence. After that, I went on to work at OC Tanner in Salt Lake and got involved with the Shingo Prize. And I've been a Shingo examiner probably for 15, 16 years right now. So I get, I get to visit a lot of world-class plants and really see a lot of great best-class best lean manufacturing. So it's it's been a, a great journey for me. Yeah. You know, it was fun that trip that we went on out in the Midwest. And I know we can only talk about certain things, but, but you know, I think about, for me, I'm, I'm interested for you. I, when I first got introduced to Shingo and operational excellence and this stuff, for me, it seemed like this amazing, like business martial art of like, hold on. So you get your people to take way more responsibility for how everything goes. They end up liking their job better. My job gets easier as the boss or the owner and we make more money like this sounds like the best of all worlds it is it really is i think as as business owners and managers we're used to firefighting and and things like that and that becomes our life and a lot of times you go home at the end of the day and you're wondering what you did and when you get into a lean culture what happens is you're really you're locking the processes in place and that you're, you change from firefighting to really making sure everyone's following the processes. 
which is better for people. It, it gives them a better outlook on their work. They know at the end of the day if they've won or lost, how they're contributing to the business. And so the engagement level goes way up. And that's something that companies try so hard to, to get is that engagement. But really getting people involved in their, their work is is one of the best ways to do that. You know, I, I want to dive into some specific wins and some stories and, and just kind of hear some of the successes you've had. But thinking about, you know, one of our big themes on the podcast this year is about more with less and how can, whether it's entrepreneur and investor or philanthropist, you know, how can they accomplish more taking less risk, these kind of things, more impact and philanthropy with less investment, everything like this. When you think about people who, you know, they've heard about it, but they don't really know how it works or anything like this. What would be your what would be your elevator pitch on on why this might be a discipline worth worth uh, investigating? I I would say that when you you go down this this lean culture, you know operational excellence. What you're doing is you're engaging your your team, and they start being partners in the business. So instead of you having to make all the decisions and implement everything, all of a sudden your team's doing that and, and you're working on strategy, you're working on the important things that, that leadership should be doing rather than you know, worrying if order is shipped today or you know, if the material didn't come in, what are we going to do? Because your team's taking care of that and you're, working, you're worrying about the important stuff. I guess my follow-up question for that is for folks who say, well, I'm not in manufacturing, so that doesn't apply to me. You know, how would you explain how it's been adapted for healthcare and finance and just so many different industries nowadays? The, the interesting thing is that as a Shingo examiner, most of our visits right now are non-manufacturing. And probably over the past 10 years, uh, there's been a dramatic shift to where it is healthcare and it is finance and insurance companies, totally non-manufacturing. And everyone says, oh, we're not manufacturing, this isn't going to work. But the principles, the process works in any anywhere you go. And all you have to do is, is walk in for a hospital visit or I always use fast food, but you walk into a Chick-fil-A and everything flows. Right. And, and great customer service and people are happy. And I always say, like, how does that happen? How does that how do you get those kind of people? And but when you walk in for your hospital visit, if if they're not practicing lean, you end up where you're walking all over the hospital. And, you know, there's just a lot of waste in the process. And you can you once you start doing this, it just screams out at you of all the improvements uh, that can be made and look at you know, healthcare keeps rising every year, the cost of it. So it's a great ground for this type of process and, and methodology. Yeah. Well, I know you guys had a bit of a journey last year with your business and, and the pandemic. Can you can you talk about how continuous improvement applied there? This is probably one of the, the most interesting journeys that we had or I had uh, in my career where we, we had put plans down. Our strategy for the year was to grow you know, 30, 35%. Everything looked great up until about March. And that's when COVID hit. And we, all, we always call it Rudy Gobert Day. But when Rudy Gobert was diagnosed and the NBA shut down, we, within probably a week, we had lost 60% of our businesses, like a lot of, like a lot of companies in the U.S., and we were wondering what we were going to do. And things started happening very rapidly. So decisions that used to take weeks, we had to make them in, in hours, it seemed. 
And so the first thing we did is we, we got the people in our office, which are customer service and digital and design and things like that. And we told them, you're going to have to work from home. And they said, when do you want us to start? And we're like, right now. So things started happening kind of in hyperspeed. And we didn't have computers for them. We didn't have, you know, stuff like that. And we had to, to improvise very quickly. And that became kind of our, our strategy, our way of looking at things. So instead of a lot, you know, some companies that we know just kind of said, we're going to wait this out. It's going to change and, and we'll just wait it out. And we started saying, well, what do our customers need? And that's one of the lean, you know, focuses on what, what does the customer need? How do we make the customer happy? So we started printing COVID signs for free. You could come on our site, pick out some COVID signs, print them out. And then we expanded that and we said, if you want these, we can make them, right? We have capability to make as many as you want. And here's our services. So that that started taking off. It was slow, but again, very, very, after a period of time, as we started getting very busy that way. But then we we said, how about face masks? We can make face masks. We have the capability. We have sewing. We have cutting. So we did that. And we actually launched our site for face masks in a day. We built an internet site in a day. And the amazing thing happened is that the next day we got like 2,500 orders. And we didn't have enough sewers or things like that. So we had to go out, in, again, in hours and find home sewers and businesses that had capacity and we were able to do that. We ended up with about 50 home sewers. And that just kept growing. The, the face masks kept growing. So we, we kept approaching things like that. And by May, uh, we had a record month, the best month we've ever had. We put cash in the bank. So just really, I was astonished at, at just the dramatic turnaround. And I credit it to that we were able to accomplish it because we have this entrepreneurial spirit along with lean and, and Shingo principles that we, we've been working towards. We're still early in our journey, but enough where we work together as a, a team. So it wasn't you know, sales or marketing or operations. It was all, we're signs.com. We're all one team working towards figuring this out. And we were just able to do things very quickly. It, it's astonishing. And in lean, we talk about you know, the burning platform and that was probably the, the best example of one uh, where we didn't have a choice. We had to do something and we had to do it quickly. And some of, you know, some businesses that we know in Salt Lake didn't do that. They, they just waited, hoping things would turn around. And as you can see, we're a year into this and it's, we're still having problems. So that was, it was just an amazing story of how quickly things happen. So what's an example? You start making face masks and people are just, you know, building the airplane in flight, right? Or building the bridge as they're walking across it. What, what operational excellence principles did you implement there? Well, focus on the customer was probably the first one. We looked at flow. How do we flow this? You have to remember that during this time, we were also um, worried about COVID. So what's it, what's it going to mean to the workforce? How do we keep people safe and social distance and all these things? Uh, so we had to come up with plans for that. So, you know, as you... We all went through and, you know, quality at the source and just about every principle and the Shingo model or lean model, but the main ones were again, focusing on the customer, flowing it. How do we keep things, you know, turning around as quickly as possible? Because one thing about signs is that everything you order today will ship tomorrow. That's our, our promise, our turnaround time. 
In the early days of, of face masks, I think we were out to three days. But we, again, we we're always trying to improve that to get it to the customer as fast as possible. A lot of competitors were doing it in you know a month because they were outsourcing it, uh, where we just tried to do everything in-house. So it, again, it was an amazing story. And I think the, the lean principles and methodology really helped us. So for people who haven't seen that in person, what, what's an example of, okay, you know, we're getting this out in three days. We need to be out in less than three days. Is it, are you, are you putting work closer to each other? Are you, what, what was an example of what you did to try and get that turnaround time down? We're, we're putting work closer together. We're looking at how things are flowing through the process. Can we have people that are cross-trained? That's one of the big things is people move around as the work changes where you may have more work in one area than another. Can people move around and help out? And that's the same that whether you're in an office area or manufacturing or a hospital, right? If, if people are cross-trained, if they're flexing into different areas, just a tremendous advantage for the workforce and for the company. It's very hard if you have a person that just does one thing and if they're out of work, they just wait for more work to come in. That's not a great way to run your business. But if they can, if they're cross-trained in different areas and they can go and help out somewhere else, things are just, they flow so much better and they make life so much easier. Yeah. Thinking about all the different places that this can show up in a business, what what's something when you think about an entrepreneur who you know, they might still be in discovery phase, right? Like, right. like there's, you know, they're not a big business that's just executing and needs to improve their execution. They need to, they need to discover that voice of the customer, right? right? What are ways that you would think about applying that in that case? Well, one of the things that, you know, working with the Shingajitsu guys and, and throughout the years is don't be afraid to try things. So try things and if you fail, that that's just helping you figure out what direction you're going. And the faster you can do that, the better off you are. So, you know, we, we, we get feedback very quickly. Like I said, we're shipping whatever's ordered today. We'll ship tomorrow. Our customers will have it within a few days and they can go to our site and, and give us feedback. And I think we're 4.8 stars out of five, but just like Amazon, if you're not happy, you can go on and you can click and, and give very quickly feedback. Where a lot of companies, you can't do that because you're, you just don't have that, I guess, internet presence or the speed of things. But we know very quickly if things are working or if not working. So, you know, our marketing team keeps on top of that. And it's, it's very different from what I'm used to in, in traditional manufacturing. Sure. You know, one of one of the companies we own is a is a consulting firm and teaches the shingle classes like you do. Yeah. And one of our one of our clients that's been more on our leadership training side that's actually just getting interested in this big, you know, medical company with thousands of staff. And we're just introducing them to a more visual workplace, which is not something that currently exists for them. Right. Um, when you have to when you have to introduce that concept to folks, and it's not the way they've been in the past. How do you impress upon them the value of a visual? Well, why don't you define it and then tell us how you impress upon people the value? Well, the, the one thing that I always uh, talk about is you really have to know where you're going, right? What are, your, what are, what are you trying to achieve for the, the day or the month or the week? And then measure how are you doing? Are you achieving that? And that's a problem for a lot of businesses because uh, they don't do it, right? They don't, they don't know exactly where they are, whether they're winning or losing. 
And one of the things that you know we do here is we know every few minutes if we're ahead or behind. And if we are, we make corrections to it. So, you know, that's one of the things that where a visual workplace comes in is you can start seeing that and seeing those gaps. This is what we should be doing. This is what we're doing. What do we need to do? Well, we need to, to have things very visual. We need our tools where we need them. We need, you know, one of the big things I'm doing right now is we're working on information flow, which is, is huge. And if you think about it, you know, with Amazon and, and our personal lives, we can pretty much do anything on the internet within three clicks. We can find any information we want. You can go to Amazon and order anything uh, within three clicks, but in business, we can't do that. So, you know, searching is one of the, the ways, and we do a lot of that in, in our businesses. So what we've been doing now is working on our information flow. So how can, in our business, I can find any piece of information I want within three clicks, which is right. Imagine the, the savings, right? The, the flow and just the cost savings. If everyone in your organization could get whatever they need in three clicks, usually it's, Hey, let's call Bob down in, in accounting. He has that, or he's, he's at lunch though, let's he's wait at lunch, so, or he's on vacation. So there's, we're, we talk about the fourth uh, stage of the industrial revolution, and that's where technology is going to mesh with our work lives and really help us be more productive. And that, what I take from that is finding more information much faster. And that's, that's one of our, our goals this year is, again, anything we, can, we need to find, we can do it very quickly. And as I'm putting this together, it's amazing because we have tons of information but you have to go through, you know, different systems and, and log on to here and go there. And it's not always easy to find. So I think that's a, a huge thing for businesses. They don't realize it. Uh, a lot of people say, well, we've always done it this way. That's just the way it is. But, and that's what Lean does. It, it makes you step back and say, well, is that the right way? You know, are we wasting things? How can we improve this? You know, when you think about visual workplace of like people who are, you know, whether they're producing something or whether they're you know, getting loan documents done or they're, they're servicing a certain number of customers in any time. When you think about the different forms that you've seen people have a scoreboard, so anybody on the team can look up and, you know, it's the whiteboard, whether it's a, a big flat screen TV that's keeping updated and, and people can, they can see how's our team doing? Are we behind? Are we ahead? What are some of the ones that you, what are some of the ones that you have felt like are the most effective? Do you like the digital? Do you like the analog? Do you, what have you seen? Um, it, it depends on the situation. We have a digital board that we keep and it works well because everybody can look up at it and, and know exactly where we are. In an office environment, that may not be practical or it may not be, you can't measure that because it, you're working on projects and things like that. So, you know, different, you have to kind of use the right thing for the right application. But probably, I think right now in, in a manufacturing environment, or you even see them in medical, you know, billboards as you're driving down the highway that, you know, our waiting time is, is five minutes in the ER right now or, or three minutes. So, you know, everywhere you go, there, there's metrics in place. The thing that is important is you're also setting expectations. So if when you have a scoreboard or you have some measurement up and people know where they are, they know what the expectations are. It's very clear. Uh, a lot of organizations I've gone into and you, you ask them, well, what are you supposed to do today? 
and it's like, well, I just, I work on this and, you know, and then more work comes and I work on that. And well, you know, what's, what's the customer want? Are you keeping up with the customer demand or, well, I don't know. I just, this is what I do. So that's where the scoreboard comes in because you start tying to customer demand and are we meeting customer demand? If not, you know, we have a, a huge problem. So, yeah. You know, thinking about people who have, you know, they've lived it so fully, it feels like it's in the bones at their yeah. shop. You know, I'd love to hear your impressions of your time at OC Tanner. You know, on the show, we've had Gary Peterson and Tyson Heaton and, and some other folks there. And it's actually one of the first tours I ever did. I went to US Synthetics and then I went to OC Tanner and I was like, very Man, good. Yeah. How do how do they get all these people to like their jobs like this so much? <laughs> you know, but what what do you what do you feel like some of your takeaways were from from your time at OC Tanner? Well, first tell people what they do, and then tell us some of the takeaways. OC Tanner is a recognition company, so they they make awards for you know length of service, different types of recognition for for many companies. Been around since the mid twenties. Started in the Capitol Theater in downtown Salt Lake by Ober Tanner. And just, they transformed probably in the nineties, we, we started transforming and won the Shingo award in, in 1999. But to this day, they're still changing and, and they're looked at as one of the best lean companies, if not the world, you know, at least the US. So the, again, like you, you go in there and you can just feel it. The people are happy, they're engaged, they're happy to talk to you. It's just a totally different environment than, than what a lot of companies are. And what that is, probably the biggest thing, I was talking to one of the women that was a manager in one of the areas, and she said, we don't, we just got this in, this new process. We're not sure, you know, how it works or, or things like that, but we'll figure it out. We always do. Uh, and that's what you hear. You hear it all the time that, you know, we're going to figure it out because they're confident, right? They, they have the tools, they have the knowledge, they can figure things out. Uh, a lot of companies you walk into, you know, the heads are down. They don't want to talk to you. And that's, you know, that's a sign, right? That's a sign of the culture. But if you go into any Shingo award-winning company, you can feel it within the first 10 minutes. Uh, it's just a, a totally different environment. People are much more engaged. And, and I always, I'll pick on Chick-fil-A again, or I'll mention Chick-fil-A again, but I always say, you know, if you go into Jimmy John's or Chick-fil-A, you can, it's a different environment from, from any other fast food type restaurants. The people are happy, they're engaged, you know, they're, they're really focused on the customer and making sure that you're happy. And that's, that's probably the closest thing that a lot of people can see. Uh, and I always ask like, how come it's different, right? How come they're, they're the same people, the same pool that, everyone else is pulling from, how, how are they different? How are they so happy? And that's what you see. It's just the way the culture, the way that tr people are treated, a uh, totally different way from a lot of what a lot of companies operate. And you that's know, I, you know, for the entrepreneur and, and venture capitalists, that's a huge thing because if, if a company has a good products, but they don't have this culture in place, you can turn it around very quickly by implementing this methodology and make a lot of money because it's all of a sudden the people are engaged, they're happy and things can change very, very quickly. You know, there was a real stark evidence of that. I've been on a handful of tours over to OC10 over the years and Gary was leading one that I went on and he walks into the room and he takes just a little bit of a double tick. He's like, this room used to come out to here. <laughs> These yeah. guys have moved all the machinery 
and nobody even told me. And he was excited about it. He was, do you know what I mean? Like he, he didn't feel like he should have been asked permission. Like, I think, I, I think culture is talked about to death these days and everybody says you need to engage your people. And then they're always a little, in my opinion, they're often a little short on practical how-tos. Right? Right. And yet, you know, as long as you're talking about OC Tanner, like this idea of like, actually trusting them to make decisions on how to make their job less frustrating. Like who doesn't, how do you not like your job when right. the, you you're given the authority to make life better for yourself? Right. Well, you're running your own little business and that's what they're doing at OC Tanner. Every person is running their own little business and, and they know how they tie into the strategy of the company. And that's one of the, the things that the Shingo prize talks about where, you know, if you say we want to make, uh, you know, hundred million dollars a year. If I'm out working uh, and I, that's my goal. It's like, I can't do that. But if I break it down and say, Hey, I have to make good pieces for the customer and I have to make them on time and I have to be safe, you know, all the important things that I can control during that day. If I do that, then I know that we'll make a hundred million dollars a year. If everybody in the company does that. So that's, that's how these companies operate. Auto leave is another one. They focus on, we save lives. So anyone you talk to at auto leave, if they said, oh, we did this, this cost saving project and this is how it, what happened is we saved this money and then we use that money to develop new project projects and, and new products, which help save lives. So everything is tied into that overall goal of, and you see that at, at these lean companies, everyone in the organization knows what direction they're going to. And, you know, that's one of the tests that people can do is, is go in and ask kind of the leadership, what's your focus, what's your goals? And a lot of times you'll get different, different answers. And in lean companies, you won't, you'll get the same answer from anyone in the organization uh, because they all know where they're going. They're all working together. And that's a huge, huge difference and, and huge advantage. I mean, I totally agree. I, yesterday I was on a call with my former client. He used to be the CEO of the Utah Transit Authority. And I was asking him about lean and some of his ideas and, and I was kind of sharing my idea and I'd love to know if you see it differently or what you would add to this. But we were talking about this idea of like, so often the lean practitioner can fall in love with the methodology, almost like it's a martial art. You know, I, I did martial arts all my growing up years, right? So I just think it's cool. And I think Japanese words are cool. And most of the staff don't, <laughs> they don't care at all about Japanese words, right? right? But, you know, depending who you believe, somewhere between 75% to 95% of, of OPEX implementations don't reach the, the goal they planned on when they started. And it seems like it's it's not because the lean leader didn't didn't take enough certifications, right? It's so often right. couldn't get the frontline staff to care, couldn't and couldn't get the senior people to allocate enough resources and back it up, you know, and and make it the the decision that happens everywhere. And I was telling him I love Bob Chapman. Do you know this book, Everybody Matters by Bob no, Chapman? I haven't read that one. Oh, it's so good. Barry Waymiller Company. He they basically changed their approach to lean of when they're talking to their staff, they don't talk about waste and what the benefit to the company is. They talk about it in terms of reducing frustration. Right. It's like, well, everybody like there's lots of employees that could care less if the company wastes some money. It's not changing their salary, right? Right. At least early on. But in terms of like, you're going to make my job less frustrating, like, oh, I'm really open to that conversation, right? right? And and then my other thought is going up the chain is, well, quit talking to them about percentages and quit talking to them about stories that don't show up on an Excel spreadsheet they can show to the board. Like do the hard work to translate it into this is what it means dollars wise. 
because all of a sudden the CFO's ears perk up and all of a sudden it can show up on a report to their boss when that CEO is going to the board and saying, look at, look at this we're doing. And he gets to speak the board's language and you've made it easy for him to speak that language. Right. So I'm interested if you disagree with either of those or what you would add to either of those. Well, I think a lot of practitioners or a lot of people fall in love with the tools and that's, that's what they do. So if you go into a company and you say, hey, we're going to do 5S or you know, even Six Sigma, we're going to train everybody in Six Sigma. Usually the people are saying, why are we doing this when we can't ship you know, a good quality product? The first pass quality is zero. Why are we doing 5S? Why are, you know, that's where we need help is, is on quality. Or, so a lot of times people get focused so much on the tools that they're not talking to people. They're not really seeing what the problems are in the company. So that's why you know, in Lean, we talk about flow. And that's why you want to flow because it, it starts exposing all these problems that are hidden. It's the hidden factory or the hidden office where people do workarounds, they do firefighting. And that's what you want to address to where it's it's just happening. The process works. Everybody's doing the same process and you're getting the same results every day. And it's predictable. I used to go into companies that we say we want to ship $10 million this month. And Every week we're like, yep, we're on track, we're on track. And then the last week of the month, it's like, oh, we're going to miss by $2 million. It's like, how does that happen, right? If you're running a business, you don't want that to happen. You want predictable results. OC Tanner, US Synthetics, the lean companies, that doesn't happen. One one good example was I went to Toyota in Georgetown with a a group, a company. And when we're walking out, one of the, the people in the tour said, well, what happens when Toyota has a, a big problem? Because we, because we always have big problems, right? And things come to a halt. And the answer is they probably don't have them, right? They 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 refine their processes and things work so well that they don't have these big problems. And if they do, they fix them very quickly. Where most companies are having these big firefighting problems every day. Hey, the customer called, he didn't get his parts, or we didn't ship on time, or things like that. So it's just a, a different, it makes things a lot easier um, and it just, things flow. And, you know, as you're talking about Gary, he's not worried about moving furniture. He's worried about strategy. And one of the things about OC Tanner, they're, they're constantly developing new businesses or new products. And Gary's setting the direction, but it's the teams that are implementing it. They're figuring out what to do and, and what machines we need, how it's going to flow what we need to train on, they're doing all that. So Gary has time to do the important important things as a leader. Yeah. Well, when you think about actual stories, can you tell us can you tell us a fun story about when this started out this way, it was like this, and by the time we we'd worked on it, it was like that in the end? Well, that I was down in Texas working in oil and gas and we were we were typical, right? We we'd go in and we do Kaizen events and we do the lean improvements event for the week. And then, and I was the director of operations. And then Monday, the next Monday came and it was back to business, right? We have work to get out. We have things to ship. We got to, we got to get back to work and things just weren't happening. They weren't taking off. And and I was getting very frustrated. Like you said, you know, well-educated and you know, all the lean stuff, but you know, implementing can be a challenge at times. So I I talked to, uh, his name was Juan Serrato. And he was the, I guess, superintendent 
lead person for the plan. And, and we did fabrication, welding, and things like that. The workforce was probably 95% Spanish speaking. And I said, Juan, this is what we're trying to do. And, you know, I explained to him and I explained some of the lean concepts. And he was like, okay, thank you. You know, nobody's ever asked me to be involved in this. And it was an amazing, amazing transformation, the, the fastest transformation I've ever seen and probably ever will see. But within, I guess, probably a month, we had changed the business around. The one product that we we were building was taken, initially was took three months to build, and we got it down to about one a day. So, and that was in the matter of maybe a month or month and a half. And, and the board of directors came through and they were so impressed because this was a problem plan. And they were just astonished at the changes. And what, um, what kind of product? It was for the oil and gas industry to go out into the, the they're, they're called oil and gas treaters, but they would, they were very large, probably 20 feet tall by, you know, 15 by 15 foot base, a lot of welding and fabrication, a lot of parts. And, you know, we were doing one a day and nobody in the, nobody in the industry believed that we could ever get to that, but we did. And it was, so, it was Juan, it was his just, and I call him a lean champion, but an influencer, you find these influencers in, in your company that like this uh, and have good sway over the people and it, transformations can happen very quickly. So that was probably the the most amazing one that I've been part of. And, and just, you know, this day I talk about it, just very proud of it because it, we were able to kind of capture the hearts and minds and, and change the culture. And it was amazing because, you know, we used to have the metrics up on the board and things. And, you know, I, I knew we had, we had changed things because people would come up to me and said, Hey, how come my, my operations always in the red, you know, working hard and how come I'm always in the red? You know, and I said, wow, he's paying attention, which, you know, before they just came in, they, they did their job and, and went home. And then other, you'd hear other people say we had a sister plan and, and we get help from them. And our guys would be saying, hey, we don't work that way, right? We don't batch. We just do what we, is needed for the customer. And this, again, was a very short period of time, but it was amazing, the transformation and engagement, right? You're, we're talking about engagement. Engagement's not, you know, coming up with, you know, new games or, or ways to get people involved. It's just having people enjoy what they do and, and being part of it. That's really true engagement. So, you know, I've, I, like you have been on some tours, not nearly as many as you've been on, but, you know, going to Japan and seeing what they do at Toyota and Toyota suppliers and stuff. I, I have a vision for how some of that might've happened, but for people who haven't experienced that, you know, it just sounds like, I don't know what it sounds like. Hey, this used to take us three months to build and now we build it in one day. Right. Can you talk about, can you talk about it's because we stopped making parts that we didn't need yet. And we, we, we brought processes, you know, we, we, we brought the parts closer to it. So it didn't have to, you didn't have to move as far to get that thing welded on. Or can right. you give us some like tangible examples of how you dropped a three month process to one day? Well, what we did is we, we broke the product down, the process down into steps and we had one main flow line and then we had feeder lines. So what you're trying to do is level load the process. And this is in hospitals anywhere this works so that as things are flowing through, the parts are arriving at the right time. Initially, what happened is literally there was just a pile of parts out in the yard and people would have to go search for what they needed. 
and you know, do you really do you really want your your mechanics and your welders searching for parts? So all we did is we we made it where when they needed those parts, they were there. Because someone of, else had delivered them. Someone, yeah, we had people that would deliver the parts to the welders um, and fabricators. So they weren't they were welding, right? That's the value added part. There, you don't want them going looking for parts or or things like that. And, and things would just slow down. And we had timers that would tell us when we had to get certain operations done. And you could visually see, you know, you talked about the visual factory, but you could visually see where you were. And if we were running into problems, we fixed them. And that's one of the things with lean is every business has problems, but you're fixing them very quickly. So another example from Toyota, when I went down to San Antonio, they built a Tacoma and Tundra truck. Their tack time is 60 seconds. So every 60 seconds, a truck is coming off the line. And one of the people we were talking to said, as long as we make our 60 seconds, we know our safety, our quality, our cost, our delivery is good. And we don't need all these high level you know, financial metrics. So we manage that 60 seconds. So think about it. Every 60 seconds, they know if they have any problems or not. Where you know a lot of companies, it's like, Three days, three days later, something's happened and you're like, oh, what happened, you know, last week? It's like, I don't know. I, I was really busy, busy that day. Or, But if any company, if you can break it down into those small increments and say, hey, we have a problem right now, let's fix it. Then it doesn't keep repeating. Uh, a lot of times you see problems just repeating over and over because they're never fixed because you, you wait too long to address them. And going back, I call it forensic problem solving, but going back and trying to figure out what happened is just about impossible. But if you can capture it right away, then you can put problem solving in place. You can change the process so it doesn't happen again, those sorts of things. So it, that's we talked a lot about the lean you know, tools and things, but that's, that's how you do it. If you're flowing and you start having problems, now you can tell exactly what's going on. An example for a work environment was I was at a, they made parts for nuclear power plants and they, we talked to the leadership and they said, we've never delivered on time. We'll never deliver on time. It's the customer's fault. We can, you know, it's just the way they order. And when we did a value stream map, we found that there was pockets of work and the first, the order entry, there was like a hundred orders sitting there and like, why are they sitting there? And the manager said, well, as the orders come in, I want to make sure I check every one of them, but I only check them on Friday afternoon and then I release them. And I'm like, well, so we talked to her and, and she started releasing them as she got them. So things are flowing now. And then we saw the same thing in engineering and like, why is there this big you know, order backlog? And they said, well, in the first two weeks of the month, we have to get work for the shop. So we order things. And then we stop ordering things the last two weeks and we start preparing the customer packets so we can ship orders. So there was this, they were doing it to themselves, basically. They were causing this. So we, all we said is, hey, let's, let's try to get, you know, four jobs out a day or something it was. And the idea was not so much getting the four jobs out, but finding out why we couldn't get four jobs out. You know, what problems were we running into? And it was only a month later they called and they're like, hey, we, we hit 100% on time. It's the first time we've ever hit 100% on time. Again, they were doing it to themselves. And a lot of companies do that. You know, we, well, we've always done it this way. So that's the only way we can do it. 
Lean companies look at that and say, hey, how can we get better? O.C. Tanner talks about seeking perfection, which is also a Shingo principle. And it came from Ober Tanner, where he said, we're always trying to get better. We're always trying to seek perfection. That's what you see in lean companies. Every day, they're trying to get better and better, uh, make small little improvements, which lead to big changes. I'm interested in this concept that feels so natural to everyone. We've all been sold on economies of sale, economies of scale, and and we should do a big batch of things and get it all done fast because you'll be so much more efficient to stay on one thing. Yeah. And like, that's so deeply ingrained in society. What do you do to introduce to people this idea of like, I know that sounds natural. I know that sounds faster, but but yeah. try this with me. I, I promise I promise you, it, I promise you it's not in the end. How do you, how do you broach that? Well, I, I always talk about when I came to signs and we used to ship we do the same thing. We put everything in boxes and then we put it in uh, at the end of the table and then we'd ship everything at the end of the day. So, you know, three o'clock this time, we'd be looking down at the end of the table and saying, oh, there's a lot of work down there. I think we'll be okay today for making our shipments. And so when I came in, I'm like, you know, this is batching. This is not, it's not flowing. So let's, as we pack it, let's ship it, right? Then we know exactly where we are. And then, you know, literally they, they looked at me like I was the dumbest person in the world. Like, why would you want to do that? That's dumb. We can do things much better, you know, just working on packing things. I said, well, let's try it. And, you know, after it was only a day or so, they're like, hey, this is better, right? This is, it's a lot easier. We can find things better. There's not all this work uh, and things get damaged. They get mixed together. So that's why you don't want to batch because as you're batching, Things can get damaged. They can get mixed up. You send the wrong parts to the customer. You know, all those things happen. Same thing, you know, in an office environment, if you're working on 20 projects, usually you're spending more time managing, you know, that those projects of when you're going to work on them than actually working on the projects. So, you know, you, that's why you want to keep projects flowing. So you're only working on one or two or three at a time. Uh, because that's what, as humans, that's what we're really capable of. It just changes and you end up where you're, you know, you're scheduling what project you're going to work on. And that's how your time is spent. Again, not value added to the customer. Yeah. Well, we, we've covered a number of different subjects here. What's one that we didn't cover? Well, I think, I think in with COVID, some great examples of companies that have adopted lean that have been successful during this time. If you look at Dyson vacuums, they they look at the Shingo model and they use that and they were able to change very quickly and come up with respirator type applications. OC Tanner, the same thing. They, within a matter of, of days, they were making respirator parts and face masks. And you just see that in a lot of different companies. Regeneron in New York came up with a COVID drug and that they were a Shingo prize winner. So. I think that that's one of the things in, in this current environment that you see is companies that have this lean methodology can react very, very quickly and pivot and change. And in today's world, you know, if it's not COVID, it's going to be something else, uh, you know, comp- competitors or something where you have to pivot your business and the lean culture allows you to do that very quickly. Yeah, that's great. Well, if people want to connect with you or see what you're up to, what is LinkedIn the best place or where's where's the best place? I'm on LinkedIn, Drew, Drew Butler, signs.com. So I'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay. Maybe maybe as a final one here, what's what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? 
Our best piece is that's a tough one. I think just be open to change, be open to, I remember Mr. It was not so much advice, but I used to work with a Japanese sensei, Mr. Shimbo, and he was very good at the why. And we'd be walking around and he'd say, why are you doing that? And I'd, I'd always look at it and say, what does he mean why we're doing that? It's obvious why we're doing it. And then I'd start explaining it to him. And every time I'd be halfway through and I'd be saying like, yeah, why are we doing this? This is, this is dumb, right? So he, I think just, I always remember him because he, he, he taught me so much, not so much in words, but, you know, pointing things out and, and things like that. And it was just a great experience. That's great. Well, I appreciate making time to come to the show and, and share your stories. It's great to be on and thank you for having me. Okay. Bye everyone.